0: Every time I come to this pulpit, I just whisper, Lord, please help me. And I again tonight ask for your prayers in our behalf as we break the Word of God, the wonderful bread of life. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We had announced that tonight we would have the Lord's Supper. We're having to postpone this for... I think until the first Sunday in May, Brother Bob Brown had been called out of town because of the very serious illness of his father-in-law, and he was to direct that tonight. But the message that the Lord has laid on my heart is the same, so I want to speak from this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the subject is tonight, for this cause many sleep, for this cause many sleep. Now, there are people that sleep through sermons. So I want to warn you tonight, I'll wake you up if I see you sleeping, because I don't want you to fit into this category. And there are people who fall asleep while they drive. And there are people that just are sleepy in nature. Now, none of those is the group toward which I speak tonight. This Scripture says, for this cause many sleep, and we won't examine that phrase as we study this unusual chapter. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity of being in God's house and for all of Your precious people who are here, for some who may need to know the Lord in a deeper way, some perhaps have never been saved, and may God's Holy Spirit deal with their hearts. And may every Christian here tonight, Lord, discern as the Holy Spirit speaks. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now Paul has written the letter to, Corinth, to the Corinthian church to straighten out some problems in the church. We really ought to be quite thankful that the Corinthian church Let me say it and then try to back out of it. We ought to be quite thankful that the Corinthian church had so many problems, because had it not had all those problems, this book wouldn't have been written, and we would have been so unfortunate not to know how to deal with those problems today. Now, that doesn't mean that we're thankful that the church had all those problems, but uh, you understand what I'm trying to say. All right, when we get to the 11th chapter... Paul is dealing with three things. Number one, the relationship between men and women in the Christian walk. Now, we're not going to deal with that tonight, but it's in this chapter. The relationship between men and women in the Christian walk. It would be very, very wise for the ERA people to read this section of Scripture. The second division of this chapter deals with divisions in the church. Divisions in the church. And it would be wise for all of us to read that over and over again, because uh, Paul says, first of all, when you come together, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. <laughs> I've heard about you. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Now, we're not going to talk about that tonight. What we do want to talk about is the last section, which begins with verse 23, discernment of the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 23, and we'll read. begin reading there. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now Paul is saying, I got this from God. You remember that he said, when I got saved, I didn't go and confer with Peter and James and John and get them to tell me all the things I should preach. He said, I went out to the Arabian desert and got alone with God and spent three years in a seminary education alone with God. And many times when we read about, read Paul's writings, we we forget that. Some try to say, well, Paul was just a child of his day, and he wrote to accommodate himself to the people of his day, and so on. No, 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 no. Paul went out and had a personal encounter with the Lord, and he got what he got from God, because some of the things he wrote, nobody ever dreamed of writing before. One of the things concerning the church, and he mentions this is a great mystery that was hidden from all the ages, and God gave it to me, and I give it to you. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now he says, beginning in verse 23, I got this from God. I didn't get it from Peter, James, and John. As important as they were, I got this from God. I received, I've given to you that which also I received of the Lord. That the same night, you just think, Jesus took uh, took uh, Paul aside and said, now Paul, Paul, uh, you're going, to have, you're going to have a great impact on Christianity for the next 2,000 years. And Paul, I want to tell you, the night that I was betrayed, the night Judas came and put a kiss on my face, that very night I had earlier met with the disciples and had given them the Lord's Supper. And I want to tell you something about it. And so Paul said, I got that from Jesus, and I'm giving it to you. And here's what he says. When he had given thanks, verse 24, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore... Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, and underscore that word, it is an adverb that describes the manner in which you take the supper. It is not a reference to whether we're worthy to take it or not. It has to do with the way we take it, the manner, the understanding, the discernment we have as we take it. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment. Your Bible may say damnation, a better translation is judgment. He's not talking about going to hell. He's talking about judgment. There are five judgments. One of those judgments is self-judgment. One of those judgments is the judgment seat of Christ. Another judgment is the discipline that God has to place upon us, spoken of in Hebrews chapter 12. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, in an unworthy manner, without discernment, eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, for this cause many sleep. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, wait for one another. That's the reason in Baptist churches, when we receive the elements, we sit there and wait. We don't just gobble it down the minute we get it. We sit there and wait. Wait. For each other, so we can all do it at the same time as one body in Christ. Amen. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into judgment, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Now the, the specific uh, theme that I want to talk about tonight is this theme for this cause, many or sl- many sleep. Now when the New Testament speaks of sleep, it is talking about the death of a Christian. He's not talking about going to sleep in church. Eutychus did that, fell out the window and died, and Paul went down there and healed him. He came back to life. And there have been a lot of Eutychuses through the years. They haven't fallen out the window. They've just fallen down on the cushion. Now, Paul was not talking about that kind of sleep. He says, for this cause, the cause that I'm going to present to you tonight, many have died. Many have had an early funeral. There are several kinds of ways that God deals with sinning Christians. Number one, He hurts our heart. And if you've got a sensitive heart to Jesus, the minute your heart hurts you, get it right with God. Amen. Sometimes you speak words in haste, and you say things that maybe you didn't, shouldn't have said, or you said it in a wrong way, and you need to come quickly and say, I was too harsh there. And, uh, and get it right. Sometimes the sins are are of the uh, the kind where we we uh, are reprimanded by the Holy Spirit in our heart. Something we've seen, something we've heard, something we've said, and we need to immediately, just as soon as the Spirit of God says, "Hey, that's not right," we need to get it right, Man. confess it, get rid of it. And what do you have then? Perfect peace. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But sometimes we don't pay any attention to our heart. And we just go barreling on. We get stubborn and filled with pride. And God has to send somebody to us. That's the second way God deals with a sinning Christian. He sends somebody to us. David had that happen. He committed adultery, got by with it, nobody knew about it until God said, hey, Nathan, go visit the king. And uh, Nathan visited the king. And the king was Christian enough to kneel before God and say, Lord, against thee and thee only have I done this thing in thy sight. And he got forgiveness. There's a third way God deals with a sinning Christian. Not only he disturbs our heart, not only does he send somebody to us if we won't listen to our heart, And if we won't listen to the person God sends to us, then God begins to have open rebuke and discipline. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye, what? Bastards and not sons. God said that, I didn't. He said, you're illegitimate. You're not real. In other words, if you can sin, and your heart doesn't bother you, and God doesn't send somebody to you, and it doesn't bother you at all, you're not saved. You got into the church some other way. You're an imposter. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons." For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? Now, no chastening seems good for the period of time, but afterwards it reaps tremendous dividends. And then there's a fourth way God deals with a sinning Christian, and that is he has an early funeral. Hold your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, and mark this passage in your Bible. 1 John 5, 16. If any man see his brother, that's a Christian, sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Do you read that like I read it? Mark it in your Bible. This is a sin that is not, this is a a sin and God says you don't even need to pray for that person that sinned a sin like this because he's going to die. I'm not going to listen to your prayer. Now, he's not talking about the man going to hell. He says, I'm going to have to remove him, get rid of him. He's hurting the work. He's blocking the testimony. He's bringing shame on the name of Christ. This is the reason, friend, that we need to leave the final judgments in the hand of God and not Amen. talk about each other. Amen. Right. Not be critical of one another. Leave it to God. God knows how to take care of that. He'll do it. If we don't listen to our heart, God sends somebody to us. If we don't listen to the person God sends to us, then God will allow open rebuke. He'll put us on a shelf. He'll not be able to use us. And if we don't listen to that kind of judgment and uh, discipline, then finally God has to say, okay, I'm going to just take you out of here. And He takes him home. Saved. Yes, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so as by fire. There used to be a song that said, a rusty old halo. I don't know whether he gets a halo or not, but if he does, it's rusty. And he's saved by the skin of his teeth. He's saved by grace, but no rewards. Now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, for this cause many sleep Many have moved in on 1 John 5, 16. What cause is he talking about? I have, I want to lay on your heart three causes that I see in this Scripture, and I hope God's Holy Spirit will lay it on our hearts so very briefly. Number one, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. Now there are two meanings to this. Number one, his personhood, that is, the real body of Jesus, who is Jesus? Not discerning who Jesus is. Jesus was God tabernacling in human flesh. And for a person to come and observe the supper or come into God's assembly and not discern who Jesus is, his personhood, who he is, and he continues to have no discernment about who Jesus is, God's going to have to remove him. A Christian who calls himself a, a person who calls himself a Christian and yet has no discernment as to who Jesus is, was, and shall forever be is in perilous danger. And this, this is no we're more true than when we observe the supper of the Lord. And you come together and you say, what are they doing here? What is all this? And we say, this is in honor of Jesus, his body, which was broken for our sins. It was nailed to an old cross. It died. It was buried. And three days later, the person of Jesus came out of the grave and he's alive forevermore. But there's a second interpretation, not only the person of Jesus, but the program of Jesus, His church. You see, His church is the body of Christ. And so many times when we come to the Lord's Supper, we do remember who Jesus is, and we honor Him, and we sing about Him, and we praise Him. But have we forgotten what his program is? His program is his church. And his church is his body. And he says that we do not discern the body of Christ, the body of Jesus. What is it? Not only his person, but his program, his church. He has no other program but the church. And we are his body. Jesus said to his best friends, his disciples, one day in Matthew chapter 16 at Caesarea Philippi, he said, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And some of them said, well, they're saying you're Jeremiah or you're John the Baptist or you're one of the prophets. We don't really know, we're not sure who you are. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros, a little pebble. And upon this rock... Petra, I will build my church on himself. Not on Peter, but on himself. And this church would be his body. And he said, the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against the church when the church does its business in marching on for God. Now, the church is a body. You and I are are bodies. We can learn so much from the illustration of our own body. Our finger hurts. We hurt all over. Did you ever have your finger hurt? They say, oh, my finger hurts. I'm going to put it over there because I won't hurt anymore if I put it over there. No, no matter where you put your finger, it hurts. When your finger hurts, you hurt all over, right? You let somebody squash your big toe. They call it, wham! Oh, it hurts. Where did it hurt? Just your toe? Well, you put your toe over there in the south somewhere or in the east somewhere. and You won't hurt anymore. No, you hurt all over. Because we're a body. We're a corporate body. You get a heartache. Where do you hurt? I hurt all over more than anywhere else. See? Because we're a body. Now, the church is a body. And when one part of that body hurts, all of us hurt. When one part of that body is sick, all of us are sick. We hurt all over. And when one part of that body is strong, all of us are strong. Amen. And when our body presents itself to Jesus and says, Jesus, here we are as your body in Christ, God gets the honor Amen. and we get blessed. We've been in some high services recently, Amen. seeing people saved and get baptized and oh, what a blessing it is. And, I heard so many people speak of the music last Sunday, Brother Jim and choir, how lovely it was and how blessed they were by it, and how we were close to heaven. I had a a lady write me a letter this week saying how beautiful the service was last Sunday morning. The beautiful music and the impact of that service was powerful. Our whole church got blessed. Our whole body got blessed. Now... Jesus says that we're to discern the body of the Lord. We're to recognize where we fit into that body. Every member of our body is not a finger. Wouldn't that be a mess if we were all fingers? Can you imagine just fingers all over? Finger here and finger there and finger everywhere. Every member of our body are not ears or not eyes. I'm so glad that every member of our body is not a hair, though I've wondered sometimes about some people because they're pretty hairy. But I want to tell you, every member of our body has an important responsibility to fulfill. Amen. Our feet, our hands, our ears, our eyes, our brain, the comely parts, the uncommonly parts, God wants it all given to him. Now in the church, we're a body. There's no body in the Lord's body who can say, I'm nobody because we're all somebody.
1: Amen. Right.
0: And we have a very important role to play. And when we come to the supper of the Lord and do not discern the body of the Lord, the church, and discern where we fit into it and what we do, we're in trouble. Jesus said, For this cause many sleep. Do you know that the body of Christ has a lot of people who think they're nothing? And in thinking they're nothing, they gradually, little by little, backslide and get away from the heart, get away from the fire. And they get their minds off center and they get all messed up and all mixed up. And they never do what God had for them to do. Some member of the body might say, well, you know, I really appreciate hearing And because I'm not an ear, I'm just a little finger, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to quit. Or some member of the body say, well, I'm telling you, I'm so unimportant, I'm just a big toe. And the big toe, whoever saw anything as ugly as a big toe. I wish I were an eye. Did you know the eye may help you a little bit balance but did you know your toes help you balance and help you walk and help you stand and help you do all kinds of things? And yet it's an uncomely part, usually covered up, nobody ever sees it. I've never seen most of your big toes, except you ladies that stick it through a little slit in your shoe in the summertime. But your big toes are important. Now in the work of God, in the body of Christ, every person is important. Every member is important. And if we do not discern the importance of each other in the body, we're headed for trouble. Amen. For this caused many sleep. John wrote to Second uh, John, and he talked about one guy that liked to have the preeminence. He said, this guy just struts around, he wants to be uh, in on everything, he wants to know what's going on, he wants to have his uh, eyes in everything, and, and uh, he said, I'm going to have to rebuke him. You know, there are some members of the body that think they need to run everything. And then there are other members of the body that some say, well, I, my little vote won't make any difference, so I'm not going to vote. This morning we had that. Some people came and thank Jesus that they got saved, and I said, how many of you are glad of this? And they were, ah. I ask you again. Because everybody ought to say, ah. Amen. I'm excited about that. Amen. Every member of the body is important.
1: Amen.
0: Not discerning the body of Christ. Now this really may ought to have to be three sermons, because I get started in this area, and I want to just go on. God gives me some more things to say. Amen. Folks, Not discerning the Lord's body is so important, it's it's such an important theme. There is every phase of God's work and all of it is important. The singing in the choir, that's so important. And for somebody that sings in the choir to say, well, it's not important for me to go to rehearsal tonight, I don't have to go. Uh, I'm just, you know, after all they got plenty of others and i I got some things to say to people and so I won't go. Not discerning the Lord's body. For some to say, well, we've got some folks in the church that know how to tithe their income and so we'll just coast along on them and so on. I don't need to tithe my income. Not discerning the Lord's body because every one of us has a place to fill in that economy of God. In the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we all have a responsibility. The ushers, did you know that the first thing people, the first impression people get of our church is what they, is the usher. When the usher meets at the door, they come to the door. And uh, you know, sometimes I've seen people come to the door. Uh, Cleo, come up here a minute. Stand here. Picking on people tonight. And you be an usher, will you? You pretend like you're an usher. And you shake hands with me.
1: Yeah, good to see you, brother. And just stand there.
0: I'm looking for a seat. He's standing there, I'm trying to find a seat somewhere. See, so the usher needs to seat me. Thank you, Cleo. The usher needs to take me to a seat. That is important, all important, because the body of Christ is involved in this. The impression people get when they first come to the house of God right. is the impression they get from the usher. And here's the choir. What a friend we have in Jesus? Hey, wasn't that funny? <laughs> All our sins and griefs to bear, and they see that, see? Right. The body of Christ. The body of Jesus. You're going to run me out the back door tonight. <laughs> the body of Christ. Not discerning the body of our Lord. Amen every person has a vibrant important responsibility in the body of christ whether he be a sunday school teacher a deacon an usher a sweeper my my soul i come in here sometimes on monday before chapel and it's before any of our faithful people have a chance to get in here and have a have at this auditorium and they do it two or three times a week thank god for that But do you know what I find on the floor? All kinds of wrappers and chewing gum things and notes. And you'd be amazed at some of the notes I read that are left from Sunday night. On Monday, I always come in here on Monday morning and try to clean up a little bit before the chapel starts on Monday morning. And uh, not discerning the body of the Lord. Some of you leave that for the sweepers. Shame on us. Am I supposed to do this? I get something out of my pocket and I just drop it down there. Is that what God wants me to do? Treat treat God's house like that? See, not discerning the body of the Lord. Listen, this church is not the building itself, but the people here are God's body, Jesus' body. And the way we treat the facilities we use has a lot to say about the body that meets at this place. The way we treat the restrooms. I'm sure none of you do this, but every once in a while I go into a restroom and smell cigarette smoke. None of you have ever done that, have you? Never smelled that? I smelled it out in the hall sometimes. I, God gave me a good smeller. I used to kid our janitor, Brother Page, years and years and years and years ago. He used to smoke and he'd come here and he, he knew I didn't like it. He'd go off somewhere in some little room. And you see, in this building, you get picked, the, the, the air vents pick it all up, and I'd smell it. Man, I'd go looking for him. And I'd say, I'd find him down there, and he'd put it down, you know, and say, Brother Page, uh, you're smoking again. Oh, am I smoking again? He never did lie, but, you know, he'd ask like that. And I said, uh, yeah, let's pray that God will take that away from you because he wants to use you. I knew then God was calling him to preach. He, hadn't, he didn't say anything, but he didn't know that. And uh, so finally, he came one day, and he said, Well, preacher, you won. I said, I didn't win. Jesus won. He quit his old smoking. This is God's body. The church we occupy, the body of Christ occupies this place. You are very, very important. And when we sit at the table of the Lord, we need to be aware, discerning of not only the personhood of Jesus, but His program, the church. And the church's main program is reaching out after unsaved people. Amen. Wherever they are, throw out the lifeline across the dark way. There's a brother whom someone should save. Let me hurry on. I won't ever get through. For this cause many are asleep. You say, surely the Lord wouldn't let somebody die over a thing like that. I don't know. That's what the Bible says. I'm just taking what God says and giving Amen. it to you. I'm just sort of an errand boy tonight, delivering the message. The second thing I see in this is not discerning the Lord's blood. Not discerning the Lord's blood. Listen to this. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, first of all, his accomplished blood redemption. When Jesus died on the cross, it was finished. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Past, present, future sins. And when God looks at me, he does not see my own sins. He sees the blood of Jesus. And when the devil comes before God and says, Looky here, oh God, that man sinned. The devil, uh, God may be ready to pronounce judgment, but Jesus, my advocate with the Father, stands up to plead my case. And he says, Father, he trusted the blood to cleanse me, and I plead his case. And when we come to the Lord's table, we need to discern the blood of Jesus, the finished redemption, the accomplished redemption of Jesus. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by holding out true to the end. We're not saved by being good. We're not saved by quitting a thousand things or starting some other things. Those things don't save us. And I must underscore that because I do a great deal of preaching against some of those sins because I believe the Bible teaches separation and sanctification. But I want to warn you, you are not saved because you don't smoke or because you don't drink or because you don't curse or because you don't run around. And you're not lost because you do smoke or because you do drink or because you run around. Those things don't make you lost or saved. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. And when we come to the table of the Lord we need to discern the blood the accomplished redemption well I want to talk about the continuing redemption not only are our past sins and our present sins and future sins all forgiven but when we come to Jesus he'll forgive every sin in our life if we'll ask him that's a tremendous truth First John 1 John 1.7, if we, we ha- if, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And so we need to be aware of the continual cleansing of the Lord, the continuing redemptive work of the blood of Jesus. You've heard people say, well, I plead the blood. You know what that phrase means? It means that I'm going through a specially tough time, a tough time of temptation, a tough time of depression, a tough time of discouragement, a tough time of of trial. I may have failed. I may have sinned. And I want to plead the blood to cleanse me from all of this. And I want to plead the blood to overcome the devil, the evil one. His continuing redemption, and we come to the body to the supper of the Lord. We need to remember, to discern the blood and the place the blood has. I, I read some time ago that there were, there was a committee who were uh, charged with uh, preparing the song books for a certain church, and they decided to take out all the songs about the blood because they said we that's a bloody kind of religion. And that's not good Christian faith. Well, they could never have been further from the truth. One reason I do not like the little book called The Good News for Modern Man. And if you like it, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm just trying to tell you why I don't like it. The translators went through and took every word about the blood and translated life. Now, humanistically thinking, that makes sense because after all, it is... Life that is in the blood and it is Jesus giving his life on the cross not his blood on the cross that saves. That sounds a little bit true. There's danger in that nomenclature. Mr. MacArthur, one of the great preachers of our day has done that. Not meaningfully perhaps, maybe didn't mean to do that but you take that little book and you read it And all the words, most of the words that would be translated life, uh, blood, are taken out and translated life. And when we had the W.A. Criswell crusade a number of years ago out at the mall, some of you remember, we had an associate of his come as a front man, and he was training the personal workers, and I was in charge of the personal workers in our association in preparing for that revival meeting. And he wrote and said, you must use the Good News for Modern Man book. I wrote him back and I said, but uh, you don't understand this book has taken all the words about blood out and just put life in there. Oh, he said, that's not uh, necessarily true. So when he got here, we went through some of it. He said, okay, preacher, we can use whatever version you want to use. Amen. We use the King James Version. Right. Now what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm not trying to be a stickler for a point. I'm saying it is the blood. And when we make much of the blood... Not discerning the blood, that's a problem. For this caused many sleep. Thirdly, and I wish I had time to stay at this point longer. But the third point, not discerning the blessed hope. Not discerning the blessed hope. Notice what he says. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. When we come to... Remembering the death of Jesus at the Supper of the Lord. we look back to Calvary. We say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. But we look forward to the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for His glorious coming. And we look forward to that time when we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll have to give an account of ourselves. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm, about, I'm not talking about the lost world who stand at the great white throne judgment. I'm talking about God saved people. We will be at the judgment seat of Christ and the question will do, be, what did you do with your voice? Did you use it for Jesus? Or did you use it for the world? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? What did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the strength I gave you? What did you do with the job I gave you? What did you do with the influence I gave you? They offered him a contract with opera. His mother, a great Christian, recognized that God had his hand on death. And she found the music of of the words to the song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And uh, she put it on the piano. And she knew that that when Bev came in at night, he'd always go and play something on the piano. Here was this poem. And he read the words. And he had a song in his soul. And he began to translate those words into music. And that night he sat there and wrote, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The next day he said, Mother, I made my decision last night. I'm going to the opera company and tell them that I'm going to sing for Jesus, just for Jesus. Looking forward to the blessed hope, every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room tonight will have to give an account of how he used what God gave us. Some have more than others. When God began to call me to preach I said Lord I don't have anything to give you do you know that when I was a young boy I couldn't even sing on key I had to learn to do that my brothers and sisters all had gifts and talents and they'd stand around the piano and they'd sing and I'd be off key and they wouldn't want me to sing with them they'd sing alas and did not go alas and did my Savior bleed I had to learn I said, Lord, how could you ever use me? I don't have anything to give you. It seemed like Jesus said, Richard, if you give me what you have, Amen. and then study to be approved unto God, I'll take what you have and make something out of it. Amen. Folks, I don't have a whole lot to give, but everything I have, God has. Amen. Amen. We're going to have to give an account of that at the at the. At the rapture, when we're caught up before God, when we stand in His presence, and the Lord says, what did you do about going to church? Well, Lord, I went when it was convenient, but if I got a little sore toe, I didn't go. If I got a little cold, I stayed home. Or if company came in, I stayed home. Or if there was a certain television program on that I knew I needed to see, I stayed home and watched that. For this caused many sleep because they did not discern the blessed hope. One of the reasons the church of Jesus Christ has its back to the wall today. Now listen, I believe more than anyone in this room that when the church does what God told us to do, it begins to march by faith that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Amen. Right. But when we don't march, when we just sit in there and we don't do much, pretty soon the gates of hell begin to march against us. Right. We get our back to the wall. And one of the reasons is because God's church is no longer militant. We're no longer powerful. We have accommodated ourselves to the things of the world, and we're so much like the world that the world ignores us.
1: Right.
0: Let me give you an illustration. And I don't mean to harp on this. We're facing a terrible dilemma in the political arena.
1: Right.
0: Terrible dilemma. We have one whole group of which I'm a member that has set itself to be so liberal that it takes no stand on anything that is biblical at all. Nothing. And doesn't even put out a candidate that takes any stand on anything. And they glory in talking about how liberal they are and how they believe in this and this and this and this, everything that's against God. It reminds me of Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder. We'll teach that old faggy, foggy old fogey, old fashioned church something. We'll just take all the stands we want to take. Do anything we want to do. Right. Now America is being faced with a great dilemma. Man. What you're going to do? We're going to face that one day at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know? Which is more important for God's people to consider. The spiritual and biblical basis of those who run for public office. Or the economic basis. Which is more important for the Christian. It's an awful dilemma. But as we get deeper and closer to our Lord. And we live in the light of the glorious coming of Jesus. And we recognize that one day He's coming and we're going to have to give an account of how we vote and how we stand and what we do and what kind of television programs we watch when nobody's watching and what we record and all of the things. What are we going to do about that? Jesus said, for this cause many sleep. I said Jesus said it because Paul said, I got this from Jesus. I was out there in the Arabian Desert and Jesus told me. Peter didn't tell me. John didn't tell me. James didn't tell me. I got this from the Lord. The Lord said, hey, Paul, the night I was betrayed, this and this happened. And I want to just tell you this and this and this and this and this and this. And so Paul says, hey, Corinthians, I want to tell you this and this and this. I got it from Jesus. And that's what he's telling you tonight. For this cause, many sleep. Many go away early. And he said, many are sickly. Now, I'm not sure when he speaks of sickly, whether he talks about physical sickness or spiritual sickness. It could be both, but I think it has to do with spiritual flabbiness, flabbiness, spiritual sickness. People who do not take stands on anything. For this cause, many sleep. Many are sickly. I want to ask you, where do you stand in light of this? In light of discerning the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, the blessed hope that we have in Christ, the second coming. Where where do you stand as far as discernment is concerned? Ask God to give you spiritual discernment, a recognition in your heart of that which is right and that which is wrong. And God will give it to you. God will give you that. He's not trying to hold it back from you. He'll give it to you but you have to ask him. And you can't ask him to say, Lord, I'm going to ask, and if you show me, I'll consider whether I ought to do that or not. He'll only reveal it to those who have said, I've made up my mind. I'm going to serve Jesus. Amen. Lord, if you show me anything that's off limits, I'm going to put it off limits in my life. I'm going to get as close to you as I possibly can. And God will bless you. Amen. I dare you to do that. I encourage you to do that put Christ first. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this body of Christ. For all of those who have come into the fellowship of this body tonight. Those who are members, those who are visitors. We pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to every one of us what we ought to do in light of what we've heard. And may we be discerning of the body and the blood and the blessed hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. What's our number? 249. 249, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. This is God's invitation tonight. I want to ask you to act upon it. And do what God has shown your heart to do, whatever that is. You know what it is. It could be there's someone here tonight who has been saved but has never been baptized. And you know in your heart that that's what God wants you to do before Jesus comes. You ought to do it now. Get ready now. Say, I'm going to do it for Jesus' sake. There are some of you who are members of other churches. God wants you to become part of Glendale. You ought to do that. Move your letter here. There's some here tonight who have never been saved. You're without Jesus. And if suddenly your life would be snuffed out, you'd go to an eternal separation from God, the nether gloom of hell. God doesn't want that. He loves you. There are others that ought to come and say, I want my life to really count for Christ. We're not going to sing very many stanzas, but I encourage you to come quickly tonight. If God's Spirit has spoken to your heart, do what He tells you to do while we sing.